Well, good morning, Village Church. I'm Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at the Village, and it's good to be with you this morning. I, I wish I was with you last Sunday morning, but uh, last Sunday morning was one of the first Sundays in, uh, I, it was the first Sunday in 20 years where I was prepared to preach a sermon, but was on my back in bed on Sunday. And uh, I just want to say thank you to Pastor Sean. I mean, you know, I know, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I know what it takes to prepare a sermon in less than a day, and uh, <laughs> that's what he did. And I also want to say that if you're new to the Village Church, uh, if you're not, you know this, but if you're new to the Village Church, one of the great things about the Village Church, there's so many men in this church that can so faithfully open up God's Word and, uh, and preach it to God's people. And so, Pastor Sean, thank you. I appreciate that, and we all do. Um, in terms of this morning, I remember the first time that I went to Washington, D.C. You ever been there? Uh, no, it wasn't when I was in junior high or eighth grade or high school. It wasn't a high school trip. It was though when we were first married. Dean and I were really young in our marriage and really young in our ministry. And uh, we had a friend who did ministry in Washington, D.C. Matter of fact, at the time, the Clintons were in the White House. And, uh, and the wife had, would send her devotions to Hillary every morning, and her staff would forward them to her. Uh, so you can... Whether she read them or not, we don't know, and that's up to you to decide. I don't know. I don't know which side of the aisle you are on, but I'm telling you, people are speaking in to people's lives in Washington on a weekly basis, even people at the top. I was fortunate enough to go to a Bible study with Oliver North in the Navy building and had all these crazy, unbelievable private tours and great experiences. But all of it, the thing I will never forget is the sense of power that I felt the first time I was on the Beltway. If you've been to Washington, D.C., you understand. If you have any degree of discernment as a Christian, you understand that when you get in that place, you can feel the power that's in that place. It's, it's, it's palpable. You can feel this malaise of power, and, and you know that it's there. It's present. I went this summer uh, to drop one of my daughters off for an internship, and I felt the same thing. It's still there. It's never going to leave because there are places like this that are power centers in our world. There's actually something almost spiritual about it, that there is such a political and a social and an economic kind of power and authority that, that is present Maybe you felt this when you went to New York City or in the financial district in London. I know I've felt similar things both of those places, but nothing like the power that I felt in D.C. Ephesus was a place like that. It was a place where power resided. And part of the reason for that is that the temple of Artemis was in the city of Ephesus. A few weeks ago, we talked about Paul in Athens. The, the temple of Artemis was four times the size of the Greek Parthenon, four times the size. It was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And the, the cult of Artemis was the largest cult in the known world at the time. It had, 30, it had 33 centers of worship spanning from, from Spain all the way to Syria. It was the largest cult in the Roman Empire, and Ephesus was its home. And the Ephesians believed that Artemis had power over all kinds of, quote, authorities, over politics, over culture, over money. Actually, the temple of Artemis was considered in the ancient world the safest place to place your money on deposit, the temple of Artemis. And it was a center for fertility and sexuality and more, sex and money and power. 
and the power that revolves around systems and structures that exploit sexuality and money and power. This was Ephesus. It's no wonder that Paul would later write to the Ephesian church, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The city of Ephesus had given itself over to cosmic powers over this present darkness. It had given itself over to spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And as the church was now expanding to the ends of the earth, Jesus told them, you would be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And as the church is now expanding to the ends of the earth, the early Christians were undoubtedly asking themselves questions like, can, can, can the gospel or how will the message and the power of the gospel take root in a place like Ephesus? And how would the power of Jesus and his gospel come against the powers that be in a place like Ephesus. You see, mo most of the, the ancient world lived downstream from Ephesus, but how would the gospel and the power of Jesus take root in a place like that? Listen, we live a bit downstream from D.C. or New York or the financial district in London or even Los Angeles. We might live a little bit downstream, but we live in a powerful place. Have you noticed that? There are a lot of powerful people with a lot of powerful influence, with a lot of money and resource. We live in a place that influences the rest of our country. People come here from vacation from all over the world. People from all over our country want to find themselves here as fast as people want to find themselves out of here. We live in a powerful place. Much like the forces at work in Ephesus. And so this morning, we're going to learn seven lessons on the power of Jesus and the powers that be. I think we learned the first few, actually, from just the first couple of verses. Look at verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even the handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick. And their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. I think the first thing we're going to see this morning is that the power of Jesus will authenticate the message of Jesus. That the power of Jesus will authenticate the message of Jesus. And even in places like Ephesus, even in power centers, places like the place that we live. And this was, listen to me, the way that Jesus authenticated his message Luke tells us this as far back as not just the first chapters of Acts, but the first chapters of his gospel account, the book of Luke in Luke chapter 5. We see this story of a, the man that's, that's raised down and he's healed. Jesus tells him that his sins are going to be forgiven. And, and the ruling people of the time, the religious leaders, they say, well, how could you say that? And it says, but, but, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin in Luke 5, 24. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise and pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose before, picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. This was the way that Jesus authenticated his message. And Jesus continued to authenticate his message by extending his power through his people, through his disciples, through his 
apostles. And we see that happening actually just a couple of verses previous to the one we're in, in Acts 19, 8 to 10, where it says that Paul would enter the synagogue there in Ephesus. For three months, he spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them. He took his disciples, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannius. He continued there for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. You see, that's the context for what we read this morning. The extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul were meant to authenticate the extraordinary message that Paul was preaching, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and of the kingdom of God. Now, I know uh, for most of you, you're probably thinking in the back of your mind this question. Then, then why don't we see more of this kind of power today to authenticate the message of Jesus in a place of power like our place that so desperately needs it? And I think there might be a few answers. There's at least two that I could point out this morning. One is, I think, a lack of faith. Or maybe we'd say a lack of belief. Now, I want to pause and say, I'm not saying a lack of faith in that if you're sick or if you need healing, the reason you're not healed is because you lack faith. That's not what I'm saying this morning. Make that clear. But what I am saying is that we are a people, Western culture, we are a people that lack faith. We lack trust. We lack belief. We are rational people that only believe in rational things. We don't believe these things will even happen. Kind of like Jesus' hometown in Nazareth, where in Matthew 13, it says that he did not do many mighty works there. Why? Because of their unbelief. I don't know if it's always a lack of faith. I don't think it always is. Sometimes I think it's a lack of faithfulness. A lack of faithfulness. It's not just a lack of faith. It's not just our skepticism that we just don't believe. It's our lack of faithfulness, I think. I think one of the things we learn from Paul's ministry here in Ephesus is that there was a progression to his ministry. Paul spent a couple of years in Ephesus working, building relationships with people. He was a tent maker the aprons and the handkerchiefs that are falling off of Paul are his tent aprons. They're his work clothes. And the handkerchiefs he would use to, to wipe the sweat from his brow because he was working so hard in the hot sun. Like Paul worked hard and he built relationships in a community for more than two years. And over those two years, he not only worked faithfully in the community, but he preached faithfully in that community so much so that it said that everyone, both Jews and Greeks, had heard something of the gospel from Paul. And he did that over a long period of time. And at this period in time, Jesus was gracious to extend extreme power through the life and ministry of Paul. Which points to the second lesson I believe this morning is that the power of Jesus comes through faithfulness to Jesus. The power of Jesus comes through faithfulness to Jesus. I, I know some of you are thinking, yeah, yeah, Matt, but, but what about guys like Peter? It didn't take any time for Peter. Peter just came out of the gates healing people. Peter just came out of the gates like people trying to touch his robe or something. Like Peter just came out of the gate. Yeah, great. We're not talking about Peter. We're talking about Paul. And we're talking about Jesus' ministry in and through the life of Paul. That it did take some time for Jesus to demonstrate this kind, hear me right, this kind of power through the ministry of Paul. 
And who's to say that we aren't more like Paul than we are Peter? And who's to say that Jesus can't work through our lives in ways like he worked through the life of Paul instead of a guy like Peter? Paul lived faithfully and ministered faithfully for a long time before he saw this particular kind of power at work through his life and ministry. You know the power that Paul did see immediately? The power to see the gospel change lives. Paul preached the gospel faithfully and began to change the lives of the people in Ephesus, and we're going to see that in just a moment. I think the question for us this morning is, are we living in Orange County like Paul was living in Ephesus? You know, do we believe that Jesus can do these things? Do we have faith to believe that his power can be extended to the lives of the people in our community? And are we working faithfully? And are we preaching faithfully? Are we trusting Jesus to work in and through our lives over time? And and submitting ourselves to him and saying, Jesus, you could do that however you want. Maybe he would extend this kind of power in and through our lives. I think the third lesson we can learn this morning through these first couple verses is, uh, is coming up. And I want to read it again. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that touched his skin were carried away to the sick. And their diseases left them. And the evil spirits came out of them. And the third thing we see this morning is the power of Jesus is meant to show the mercy of Jesus. The power of Jesus is meant to show the mercy of Jesus. It's meant to extend the mercy of Jesus. It's meant to bring the mercy of Jesus. It says that they were that God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul, which is a unique phrase. Meaning that the things that were happening through Paul were extraordinary even for the apostles. His apron, his handkerchief falling, people finding healing, people finding release from demons that oppress them. I mean, these were extraordinary things, even for the miracles of the New Testament. And there was a reason for that. You see, in this area, um, they had this belief that, that if you touch the relics of a very spiritual person, that you could find power, even healing power, by touching those relics. It's a very mystical way of thinking. It's not a biblical way of thinking, but here's how merciful God was to these people. Here's how merciful Jesus was to these people. Jesus even used some of their superstitious preconceived notions to cause them to, to run to Paul, to find healing through the relics, so to speak, that even fell from him. That this is an extraordinary thing that God did in Ephesus. Because Ephesus was a place perhaps of extraordinary power, Jesus extended an extraordinary mercy toward them. Even using some of their unbiblical ways of thinking and mystical practices to, to bring some kind of belief that they could be healed, and they were, and they could be delivered, and they were, and then they listened to Paul. And many of these people, as we'll find, found not only deliverance from demons or sickness, but from sin and hell and death by the power of the gospel. This is an extreme case of the mercy of God being extended to people that don't deserve it. But this is what Jesus does. Amen? Physical mercy that's shown in the Old Testament is always meant to help the person or the people around them see something of the, the spiritual mercy that God would show them. 
And I just want to pause and say for a moment, there is today this social gospel idea that just says things like, Christians should extend mercy just for the sake of the mercy. And maybe yes and amen, because there are people that are created in the image and likeness of God. But I'm telling you, the witness of the New Testament is always that Christians extend mercy because people need it. They need help with their sickness. Yes, they need help. Orphans need to be housed and hospitals need to be built and all kinds of things that we can do today to extend mercy into the lives of people. Yes and amen. And Christians have done it throughout history and mostly Christians have done it throughout history. And we will continue to do it in future history. But the goal is always to help people see what's more. The, the more that's there, the, the, the spiritual healing that they need and can only find in and through Jesus. Well, there's two more important lessons about the empower encounter that we see next in this next encounter. We're going to switch gears here and get to the story about the seven sons of Sceva. Look at it with me in verse 13. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus. We don't see that around here a lot, right? Itinerant exorcist. This was what was happening in Ephesus because the powers that be were so at work there. They were gripping people. I mean, these were, these, this is real for them. Over those who had evil spirits saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirits answered them. Isn't this an eerie passage? Jesus, I know. And Paul, I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. <laughs> Growing up, I was in a few skirmishes, and, you know, sometimes you debate who won a fight. And if you're wounded and naked, you lost. Okay, so you high schoolers, if there's a fight on your campus this week and you're trying to decide who won, if someone's naked, <laughs> they lost, right? They lost, yeah. Okay, back to the sermon, all right? <laughs> Point number four. The power of Jesus comes through personal relationship with Jesus. The power of Jesus comes through personal relationship with Jesus. Did you get it? Jesus, I know. That word know means interaction or experience. Like this demon says, Jesus I've interacted with. I know him from experience. Paul I know. That word know means I understand. I understand that he's connected to Jesus. I've experienced with Jesus, and I know that Paul is connected. I understand that he's connected to Jesus. But who are you? You see, people who have a personal relationship with Jesus are connected to Jesus. And listen to me, everyone knows it, including the demons. And everyone who isn't, isn't. And everyone also knows that. And the people in your life, if, 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 if you are connected to Jesus, listen to me, Village Church, they know you're connected to Jesus. And if you have a personal, passionate relationship with Jesus that you're nurturing, they know it. And if you don't, they also know that. The power of Jesus comes through personal relationship with Jesus. I have, I have one story I thought, should I share this story this morning? I thought, well, I'll, I'll share it just for the sake of like, it was my most unbelievable experience seeing the truth of this. It was in some of my younger years as a pastor, and I had to make a, whole, a house visit to a, a couple whose, the, the wife was, was, was just bound by certain things, uh, obsessive compulsive things, and, and I, I can't even explain it to you, just her life was ruined and ravaged by 
by not just, I don't think, mental illness. It, it was something that was different than that. And I believe it came upon her on a trip to Japan, and she brought it back. And I don't mean to be too spooky or ethereal, but it was not good. And I remember our other pastor wasn't around, and I had to go make a house call to this house. And what I saw when I got inside was just, I'd never seen anything like it. And this poor guy who had been living in this situation and praying for his wife and trying to deal with this whole thing for years, and no one could gain any kind of traction with her. She wouldn't listen to anything. And I remember praying on the way over, and I'm just I'm trying to understand this idea of using the name of Jesus. And all I can say is I must have said in the name of Jesus over a hundred times in that house, trying to get through to what was actually happening in her life. I would say, let's just call her Jane. Jane, would you sit down? She wouldn't sit down. Jane, come back here. She wouldn't do anything. But if I said, Jane, in the name of Jesus, I'm asking you to sit down, she would literally walk over and sit down. Jesus, in the name, Jane, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to ask you, I want you to listen to the question I ask you, and I want you to give me an honest answer. And I would ask the question, and she would give me the answer. And we'd go through this thing, and she'd get back up and start scrubbing things and getting stuff out of the carpet. And it just, it went like that for two or three hours. And I'm just telling you, I've, I've personally experienced this in a really, really extreme case. Like, there is power in the name of Jesus. The seven sons of Sceva wanted the power of Jesus without personal relationship to Jesus. They were desperate for this power. They were in a position where it was their job to deal with this demonic possession thing, and they had no power to do it. And so they, they saw that Paul did, that Jesus did it through Paul. And they wanted to call on the power of Jesus without knowing Jesus. They wanted to use Jesus for his power without relationship with him. And you might say, well, Matt, how do you know that they had an ability to have relationship with him? Because Luke has already told us that the gospel was proclaimed to all of these people throughout Asia in Ephesus. These people lived, these men lived there. They were leaders. They were listening to Paul. They had heard the message of the gospel proclaimed. They knew what it meant to follow Jesus. They just chose not to. But they wanted the power of Jesus for the things in their lives that they were desperate for. And, and I can't help but think so many of us are desperate you're desperate in your marriage this morning. But you're not in relationship with Jesus. And you're desperate for, for healing through some kind of relationship. But you're not in relationship with Jesus. You're desperate to, 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 to figure out what I would do for my work and my career. How to provide for my family. But you're not in relationship with Jesus. But you're calling on the power of Jesus without being in relationship with Jesus. Like, this is, this is what was happening here. That these guys basically just was, wanted to have Jesus in their back pocket. Like, I'm just going to use him when I need him. But no one likes to be used that way, including Jesus. Can you blame him? I think when we call on the power of Jesus without wanting relationship with Jesus, when we use Jesus in this way, we can expect, well, probably things to go exactly like they went here. I think if we try to evoke the power of Jesus without relationship with Jesus, without personal, passionate relationship with Jesus, I think we're on our own, just like they were. I think there's another lesson about the power of Jesus that we can learn from this power encounter, and I think it's this, that the power of Jesus is meant to bring glory to Jesus. The power of Jesus is meant to bring glory to Jesus. The seven sons of Sceva, they were calling on the power of Jesus because they wanted the glory that was associated with Jesus. Could you imagine the, the, the props that a guy like Paul was getting in this city? <laughs> His apron was left on the ground from tent 
making, someone takes it, they get healed. And his handkerchief falls, someone takes it, someone's delivered from an evil spirit when it's rubbed on their forehead. I don't know how it works, but <laughs> could you imagine, like, he's in the hall of Tyrannius. He's in this place of oration. He's sharing the truth of the gospel. People are responding. Christians are, are gathering. Like, momentum is building. There's a lot of glory that surrounded not only Jesus, but, but Paul, a man who obviously gave all of that back to Jesus, but not the seven sons of Sceva, I don't think. <laughs> I think they were, they were eager for some of the glory too. And there are men today that do the same thing. You can find them on TV and social media, mostly in private jet commercials and things like that. But they are admittedly an extreme case, I think. I think sometimes we can try to hitchhike on some of the glory of Jesus. How many of us do things like that just in a little lesser form? Well, how might exactly the glory of Jesus be brought through the power of Jesus? What might that look like? Well, actually, Luke tells us what it looked like in Ephesus. Look at verse 17 and through 19. Verse 17 says, And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon all of them. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Look at verse 18 and 19. Also, many of those who are now believers came, confessing, and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found that it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. How did, how did the power of Jesus bring glory to Jesus in Ephesus? Two ways. Pagans began fearing and Christians began repenting. Pagans began fearing and Christians began repenting. And I... This is the way I think that we will see when, the, when Jesus brings his power into a midst of a place that we live, a, a place that's a powerful place. When he brings it, pagans will begin fearing. I was trying to think of an example of this in my lifetime, and I don't, I've never seen something like this. I remember after 9-11, the, the amount of people that actually wanted to see themselves in church. And it's not a really great analogy because circumstantially it doesn't really all connect. All I can say is that I think after 9-11, in our country, people realize there is good and there is evil, and we need help from the evil. And so people filled churches. Th that's the closest I can see to, like, the people just began to say, like, we're afraid, we're in awe, we need help, things like that. But, but this morning, let's concentrate on, on the part that, that's kind of more in our control, the Christians repenting. Pagans began fearing, and Christians began repenting, which sounds a little odd, doesn't it? Christians began repenting. <laughs> When Luther says this is all of the Christian life is one of repentance, the Christians in Ephesus began repenting. And many of those who are now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. You see, what was happening at Ephesus was there were these Christians, there were new Christians, and they'd come to profess faith in Christ, likely through the ministry of Paul. He was the one there preaching and teaching. And maybe through a, a fellow believer who shared the gospel with them after hearing it preached from Paul, a family member, a friend, a coworker, just like it happens in our context. But what was happening in Ephesus was that apparently these Christians had been keeping literally books. We keep them today on things like this. They'd been literally keeping books, like books of, of incantations, books of magical spells, books of of chants that they would call out to pagan gods, they would, they would be keeping them in their back pocket, so to speak. 
so that, so that if the power of Jesus wasn't sufficient for them in, something, in some way, they would, they would just pull it out and kind of keep these guys in their back pocket. But after they saw what happened to the seven sons of Sceva, fear fell upon the pagans and fear fell upon the Christians. And Christians, I think we learned something here about, about the way Jesus would be at work in a powerful place like the place that we live. It would have to start with us. Like that begins here. The next verse, in verse 20, it says, So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. How does that happen? It happens when the gospel is proclaimed and when Christians continue to repent and do business with Jesus. Elders Church, my assumption is that for each one of us, there's stuff that we keep in our back pocket. You know, my assumption for all of us is that we want to say, like, Jesus, we trust you to have power over our finances, but, but like our finance guy, he's on speed dial, and we really trust him. Or, you know, Jesus, I trust you. You are the one that has authority over all things in my work, yet we just never talk to him about it. You know, or whatever it is, you have, you have something in your back pocket that you're relying on instead of Jesus. And for most of us, it's just ourselves. It's just our own pride. It's our own intellect. It's our own sense of accomplishment. Our world is filled with self-help that's, that's mingled with Christianity. I mean, you, you go to the book section at any store, and if you go to bookstores anymore, I don't know, but if... If any of you do go to bookstores where you actually buy a book in a physical, like, brick-and-mortar store, go to the Barnes & Noble and go in the store, and I mark my words, this is a field trip, and I challenge you, the largest section is going to be the self-help section, and there's going to be lots of quote-unquote Christian stuff mingled around in there. It's syncretism. We trust ourselves. We don't trust Jesus. This was what was happening in Ephesus. And if we want to see the power of Jesus moving in our city the way he moved in this city, I believe it begins with us confessing what's in our back pocket and telling Jesus, like, we're done with that. We just want to trust you and you alone for all of these areas of our life. Matter of fact, I think this is so important. I'm just going to ask you to bow your head and your heart right now. Will you just, yeah. Just bow your head and your heart for a moment. And would you just, you know what that thing is. The thing that you keep in your back pocket that you rely on more than Jesus. Or when you pray about something and the prayer's not answered in your time frame, the thing that you go back to instead of Jesus. The thing that you really trust for power. Would you just take a moment and confess it to him? Would you divulge your practices? He knows what's in your back pocket. And would you ask him to just, just give, you, give you a picture right now of, of the face of one friend that you can trust that you would divulge your practice to? Christian, if you want the power of Jesus at work in your life, you're going to have to divulge your practices and trust in the power of Jesus and his power alone. Thank you for taking a moment to do that.
think it's worth it. We're wrapping up our time here in Ephesians 19. The sixth lesson we're going to see this morning is this, that the power of Jesus is always greater than the powers that be. (laughs) The power of Jesus is always greater than the powers that be. (laughs) And this is also, I believe, the main point of our last power encounter story. I'm going to read it through pretty quickly for us. But before we do, there's Luke takes time to make a historical and geographical note. Verses 21 to 22, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia to Ikea and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into the Macedonian two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. Paul remains in Ephesus here. And here's what happens next. Verse 23. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way The way, there is a new way. Two times in this passage, it's referred to as the way, Christianity. There is a new way. There's a better way. If you're not yet a Christian, we want to tell you this morning, there is a better way. It's the way of Jesus. It's the way of Jesus. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines for Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, that this Paul is persuaded and turned many, a great many people away, a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there's danger. Not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may be even disposed of from her magnificence. She, whom all of Asia and the, worship, and the world worship. Look, there is going to come a moment where the power of Jesus comes into conflict with the powers that be. And I'll give you a hint as to how you will know when it happens. It always revolves around money. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Why does sexual perversion and decadence and abuse and trafficking happen in our country every year around the Super Bowl in whatever city in America that it's in? Not in Indonesia, not in the Philippines, in America, because of money. Because the powers that be want the money. It's always about money. When they heard this, they were enraged. <laughs> you know, you, you might put your hand on something that, 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 that people care about, but if you put something, your, your, your hand on the thing that, that these systems and structures care about the most, people would become enraged. And they were crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in and around the crowd, the disciples would not let him go. Even some of the um, Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Paul had had such influence in that city. He had friends with people, was friends with people at the highest levels. Some cried out one thing and some another. For the summer was in confusion. Does that, does that seem like, like the summers that we had during COVID? Like, what is this even all about? It started as one thing, and now it's, now it's like all these different things. People have no idea. But it's when, 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 when Christianity, when, when truth begins to affect culture in a way that puts its finger on these things, the powers that be go nuts. There's a confusion. Most of them did not know what they had come together for. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had 
put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd, but they recognized that he was a Jew. For about two hours, they all cried out, great is, is this Artemis of the Ephesians. Right? In this polytheistic culture, they couldn't have monotheistic religions. There could not be a monotheistic approach to God. There can't be just one way. Jews and Christians both believed in a monotheistic kind of way of thinking about God. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, men of Ephesus, who was there who does not know the city of Ephesians is the temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky. They believe her image actually fell from heaven. Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash, for you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemous to our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with them have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open, and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Lastly, this morning, Jesus has the power to protect his people from political enemies. And I know that as I'm talking about these things and the power of Jesus and powerful places, and as you're thinking about our place, or maybe you're thinking about our country, or maybe you're all the way back to the beginning and thinking about D.C. and how do these things change, and, and, and the powers that are at work behind the political forces in our country, and whatever political issue it is, you can connect it to money and to power. You're smart people. I know that you know this. This account shows the kind of reaction that we should expect when there is a perceived threat to those power structures from Christianity, especially when it is connected to economics. And I believe Luke wanted to show the ancient church, the early church, that, you know, even though that's true, it's going to be okay. And that Jesus has power. The king's hand is in the heart of the Lord, and he will move it whatever way he desires that this pro-council and these people in charge of these city, that Jesus has his hand over them, and that Jesus made a way to quiet a riot and to bring peace to this city and to bring peace to his people. As we've been praying as a church over Acts 9.31, that the church in Acts 9, it had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord, confessing our sins and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. We need his comfort to believe that if, we extend, if he extends his power in and through our lives, that it's gonna be okay and he's gonna protect us. The church multiplied. Builders Church, listen, as we wrap up our time together this morning, Paul is not the only one that Jesus wants to extend his authority to. The entire book of Acts is centered around Acts 1-8, which says, but, but you will receive power. Now, when this book was being read, it was being read out loud to a group of Christians that were gathered. And it's not just the apostles. That Yes, it was for them. It was meant for them. They were going to receive power to go out and do these things. But Luke wanted the early church to know that all of them were going to receive power when the Holy Spirit had come upon them, present in their lives. And they, all of them, would be Jesus' witnesses to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He wants to move in this way through you, in this era that we live in, the era of Acts 29, so to speak. As always, I want to end our time with 
the truth of the gospel, the greatest power of God. Amen? Paul would say, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for anyone who would believe, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. You see, Jesus' power was so, Jesus had so much power. Jesus' power was so real, so palpable, so complete, so perfect, that Jesus had the power to live a sinless life. Think about that. (laughs) Think about your life. Think about your life and how much sin is present in your life. I'm just laughing because I know this so, it's impossible. You would live a sinless life. The power of Jesus to live a sinless life. The Spirit came on Jesus like the Spirit comes upon us to empower him for his ministry. We see that early in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus lived a sinless life. And if you're not yet a Christian, this is what we believe as Christians. That Jesus lived a perfectly sinless life before God on our behalf. Jesus lived a life that we could never live a sinless life before God. And that Jesus also had the power to die a sinner's death on the cross and in our place and for our sins. And as Christians, we believe only Jesus has this power, the God-man, fully God and fully man. Only Jesus could take on the consequence for our sin. Not only did Jesus live a perfect life free from sin to be attributed to us when we place our faith and our hope and our trust in Jesus, but Jesus took on the penalty, the consequence for our sin On the cross, Jesus alone has the power to do that and to to forgive us of our sin and to free us to live a life that we could never live without him. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I lay it down and I will, what? Take it back up again. Jesus had the power to raise himself to life, to prove who he said he was and what he came to do the Son of God who's come to take away our sin. And if you're not yet a Christian, we would call you to place your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus to forgive your sin and to free you to live a life that he always meant for you in the first place and to empower you to live that life that you could never live without him. And this is connected to our good news this morning. And if you come to church here at the Village Church, we always want to give good news to you. We believe Jesus is only, he's altogether good. And this morning... It's that Jesus has the power to save anyone in any city from Satan and sin and death through the power of his gospel. Amen? Would you pray with me? Jesus, in a moment, we're going to sing you and you alone, only Jesus. Only you can do what you have done and you have and we thank you. Only you can empower us to live the life that you have for us by your spirit. Only you can extend your power in and through our life and our ministry and the life and ministry of this church. Only you can and we believe that you will and you have, you are. (laughs) And so we praise you for the ways that you're moving. Help us to divulge our practices and lay down these things that we trust for power and look to you alone for the power in our lives. You are the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the only one who has this kind of power and authority. We acknowledge that this morning. We worship you this morning in light of it. And we do it in your name and for your sake, Jesus. Amen.